I'm so excited about this series. I, I just almost want to just blow up right now already, so I'm just going to try to ease my way in and sort of take it in stride. But I love what we're sharing in this series. It's kind of like a heart message for the passion movement. And I tweeted this week and said, I wish I'd heard this message 40 years ago. And then I looked at that tweet and I said, I just tweeted something that said, I wish I had heard something 40 years ago. How, how do you do that? I mean, some of you are not even 40 years old. I'm like, I'm, I'm old now. So that was like in the tweet. Yes, I'm old. So that 40 years ago, I was in high school. Okay, that's a crazy th thought. I just need to get that out there. It helps me process it out loud and uh, get over it a little bit. But 40 years ago, I was a high school kid. I wish I had heard this message when I was in high school. And Shelly said to me the other night, she said, well, how would your life be different if you had heard this message 40 years ago? I said, I, I honestly don't think it would have been that different. I think I'm in the lane I'm supposed to be in. I would have never dreamed of all the things that God's let me be a part of when I was a high school kid or not, not all of what has happened in my life. But I think I would still be in this lane, but there would have been so much more freedom around my life and so much more freedom in the message I would be able to carry sooner in my life, because this message is that important. And I think the, one of the reasons it's important, because today we're speaking into the two questions that people wrestle with, and those are the big questions. One of them is, can I know for sure what God wants me to be doing with my life? Everybody on some level is asking that question. How, can I know why I'm here, what my life's supposed to be about. We used to ask it back in the days. Anybody remember the old way we used to ask that question? Can I know what God's will is for my life? There's no more of a painful message to sit through than that message because you're like, I don't know. Am I in God's will or out of God's will? I'm in the center of God's will or sort of medium God's will or on the fringe of God's will or I'm out of God's will. And how do you know that? How do you know that you're in God's will? We're putting different words around it. How do I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing on earth. We only get a little while on the planet. Don't you want to be doing on the planet what you're supposed to be doing on the planet? Then the second question we ask is, can my life really count? I mean, we can maybe identify a few other people and say, I can see where their life's counting and see where their life's counting, but can my life really count for the stuff that matters most, because that's what I want to know. And if I can make it to the end of life, and I can say I did what I was supposed to do on earth while I was on earth, and what I did on earth while I was on earth actually counted for something great while I was on earth, then in that moment, you and I are going to go, I really, truly lived. And to both of those questions today, what does God want me to do? And can I know this? And can my life count for something lasting? There is a resounding yes to both of those questions today. And we find that answer as we're going to journey through this series and spend some time in this passage, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. So I want you to turn in your scripture with me. And we'd do well if we just had time to read all of this little letter of Colossians up to this point. But you just have to understand that Paul is writing to the church. He's unpacked a huge story of the grace of God and what that means to your life and to my life. And now we're, if this were a letter, we're somewhere on like the third page on the back, sort of toward the bottom is where we're jumping into the letter. But let's start together beginning uh, in verse 15. This is what it says, Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, the reason we're adding this in today is because this is going to be the downstream part of what God's going to blow up in our hearts today. My prayer today is that there'll be a revolution inside of people today. And that you will see your journey with God on earth differently from today than you did before today. That there will be a freedom come in your life today that maybe you've never experienced before. And an excitement will come over your life today. That's going to be the easy part, even though that is a huge work of God. The harder part is to flesh this out and to work it out over time in the trenches all the way down the journeys of our lives in those truths are going to be found for us in verse 15 and 16, but here comes the big idea in verse 17. And whatever you do, what a powerful set of words. Let's say them together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Paul goes on, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I think that we're going to grab on to everything we need, really, for our journey in that little phrase right there, because today we're beginning to talk about passion and purpose. And those words probably can be interchanged in different places, and I'm not trying to con- confuse you know, the lexicon, but I think passion is, is one stream, and purpose is a different one, and both of them working together is what's going to get you and me to the place God wants us to be, and we see both of them in this verse. Beginning at the front of verse 17, it says, and whatever you do. Now, that is a huge word, whatever. I think it means, as I've been digging around and doing some word study and digging back into the original languages, that whatever means whatever. That's a big word. Because anyone today could step up and say, well, here's what I feel like God's leading me to do. Is that allowed? And the answer would be back, well, is it, is it fit under whatever? And if it fits under whatever, then it's a possibility because Paul is opening a wide door to us today, and he's saying, whatever you do. That speaks to our passion. It speaks to the passion that God wants us to live in and out of. What does that mean? What is passion? It is the unique gifting, wiring, aptitude, and opportunity that makes you come alive and fulfills all of your God-given potential. That's what passion is. Passion is recognizing that you are uniquely gifted by God. You are not ordinary. You are not common. You're not run-of-the-mill. You're not just one of the bunch. You're not one of the pack. You are uniquely gifted by God. The person sitting next to you on your right is not gifted like you are gifted. 
You are wired differently. The person sitting behind you today is not wired like you are wired. You have a different aptitude. The person sitting on your left does not have the same aptitude that you have, and you have a unique set of opportunities that God has given you. The person sitting in front of you today, they don't have the same opportunities that you do. You have been uniquely gifted and wired by God with a certain aptitude and certain opportunities so that you can live in a passion that makes you come alive and that at the end of the day you feel like I have fulfilled all of my God-given potential. If we just stopped right there today, that is a message that should fire all of us up because God's not looking for people just to exist on planet Earth. He's not looking for us to sort of go through the diary or go through our iCal or check off all the boxes. I've got my job and I've got my family and we live in the neighborhood and our kids are involved in X, Y, and Z. And that's kind of the sum of our lives right now. And we're just trying to keep up for the most part. And when there comes a clearing, maybe one of these days down the road, we can reevaluate and decide how we want to invest our lives. God is saying, that is not my purpose for your life. I have put something in you that I want to be discovered and unleashed in you so that you can live on earth feeling like I'm alive and I know I'm fulfilling the purpose that God has given me. I'm living out of passion And everybody in this room has got one. It's that thing you think about. It's that thing that you maybe told somebody one time and they laughed so hard you haven't told anybody since. It's that thing that you just don't see how it's realistic. You don't see how it's going to work out, but it it, it fires you up. When that subject comes by, something wakes up inside of you. When that opportunity comes by, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, count me in. It's what you dream about, what you vision and imagine. It's what in your heart of hearts you're thinking, this is what makes me alive. And I want to offer to you today, that very well may be the passion that God has put inside of you. And he wants you to discover that and awaken to what that passion is all about. The second part of the verse answers the other of our big questions, and it says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed. So let's just say that... um, that you're a small appliance repairman. I just like picking that one because everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or, you know, like some great inventor or an architect of the future in some field. But let's just say you're here today and you're like, Louis, I'm, I'm on a little bit different track than that. I like small appliance repair. That fires me up. You got something that don't work at your house, you call me, I come, I take it apart, I fix it all up, and I got stuff like in my pockets that I can fix stuff with. I can, I can invent things. I of your cupboards and repair things with. I love it. That's what makes me tick. And I will leave your house and your dryer will be working and you'll be glad or your garbage disposal will be working and you'll be glad. Your microwave's back in the black and you'll be working again and, and it'll be working and I'll be going home and I'll be like, that's what I do right there. I am the king or the queen as it may be of small appliance repair. And you know what? Nobody really has probably lifted that up as one of the great ambitions in life. In fact, their parents here today going, Lord, I hope that's not my kid you're talking about. I mean, I'm not thinking one of these days my son's going to come to me and go, Dad, I finally figured it out. I know what I'm supposed to be about. I'm small appliance repair, man. That is what I am. I think that's the way I'm wired. I got an aptitude for it, gifting for it. And look, I can take anything apart and put it back together again. And your parents are going to be like, ha that's awesome, man. That's great. But you know what? If your parents, you, you, you might want to breathe on that. You might want to breathe on that. 
and just take a big giant step back from whether or not that's going to be able to fund your retirement. <laughs> because it might. JoJo's appliance repair may have 200 vans in 16 cities across the nation, and you may be living large at the end of the day going, our kid, uh-huh, he's JoJo. Yes, that's us right here. <laughs> but what you want to do is recognize that there's something in us that moves us. And that something in you that moves you is most likely the passion that God has woven into the fabric of your heart. And it's different than the fabric he's woven into somebody else's heart. So you don't need to be looking at everybody else going, what lane are they in? Well, what are they good at? Well, what seem to be the top five careers right now? Don't think like that. Where are the jobs right now? Don't think like that. Think like, what is it that God has wired me up to do? What are my gifts? What's my aptitude? What makes me tick? And how am I wired? Because God has put that in you and he's put that in me, but he put it in you, and he put it in me for reason, and that's in the second part of the verse. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, here comes the phrase, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever it is that you do feel gifted to do, you do have an aptitude for, you are wired up to do, at the end of the day, it doesn't just terminate with, I'm passionate about X, and I'm good at X, and I'm gifted at X. It terminates with, why am I gifted for this, and why do I have an aptitude for this? It is so that I can have a purpose that's bigger than my passion, and the purpose of my life is to make the name of Jesus known in my generation. My passion may be small appliance repair, and I absolutely am fired up about it. But my purpose is bigger than that. My purpose is to do whatever I do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what Paul, the same person writing this letter, wrote when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 11 at the end of this benediction in verse 36. He summarizes a lot of the gospel's effect in our lives by saying this, for from him, the him there, the pronoun being God, for from God, Romans eleven thirty six, and through God and to God are all things, so to God be the glory forever, amen. See, that now we're waking up to two amazing truths today. We're waking up to truth number one. God has wired me up to do something. God has gifted me to do something. God's going to give me a unique opportunity to do something, and I can run in that lane. That's okay with God. But the second thing we're waking up today to is this, that I have a purpose in life that's greater than the thing I'm passionate about, and it's bigger than me and bigger than my story, and it is simply to understand that I came from God, I'm sustained by God and my life terminates with God. My gift came from God. My gift is sustained by God and my gift terminates with God. My aptitude, I got it from God. My aptitude is matured through God and my aptitude leads me back to God. So at the end of the day, with all my gifting, all my wiring, all my aptitude and all my opportunities, I come back to God. And in that moment, I'm going to want to be able to say to him, I figured both things out by your grace and by your help. I figured out what I was supposed to do on earth and why I was supposed to be on earth. And I did what I was supposed to do on earth, but I did it for a purpose on earth that was greater than me. 
I got passion, and I got free around that, but I also got purpose, and I understood why I was here. At the beginning of this little letter, Colossians, in the first chapter, verse 15, talking about Jesus himself, talking about the work that he's done to free us from darkness and to bring us into life, to free us from sin and to give us right standing with God. It says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. So it's the same principle and understanding. It's to know I do have a passion that God has woven into my life. If you're going to tell me today at the end of this message, Louie, that, that I can run after my passion, I'm going to thank you for that because I was hoping at some point in life someone would give me the freedom to do the thing that I'm so fired up about in my life. But secondly, with that is this understanding, the simplicity and the beauty and the power and the wonder of it, that you were created by Jesus. You were created by Jesus, and he does not make ordinary things. He doesn't make just ordinary people. He he didn't say, well, we need seven billion people to make the earth work good. I'm just going to plop you down there. You're just going to be like totally ordinary Joe, and I'm going to plop you on earth. No, you were created by Jesus. I was created by Jesus. Therefore, I know there must be some creativity inside of me. It doesn't have to be that you're a painter or sculptor or, you know, someone that we call a creative. It just means the creativity of God resides in you. And what life does to us, you know, it just puts us on these paths and it gets us on these journeys and then we get stuck in these careers and stuck in these jobs and stuck in these cubicles and stuck in the routine and stuck in the status quo and stuck in paying the bills and at the end of the day, nobody's alive. We're just all taking up space on planet Earth. God is glorified when people come alive to the reason they exist and they live out of passion and they live for a greater purpose. He's saying you were created by Jesus and then the conjunction there is so significant and for him. So your aptitude isn't just to advance your career. Your gifting isn't just to provide a livelihood for your family. Your aptitude and your gifting, my opportunity is to advance the one who gave me the gifting and the opportunity because I was created by Jesus and created for Jesus. First, that means I was created to have a relationship with him and to live a life in love with him. But secondly, it means I was created to leave an imprint on earth that lifted up his name more than my name and lifted up his cause more than my cause. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we get our heads around that, it brings three big shifts to our life, and I want to put those on the table today. Shift number one, we shift to understand that we have the freedom to identify and embrace our passion. 
That's the big shift that comes today. That in the church, in Christ, in the kingdom, you have the freedom and I have the freedom to identify and embrace our passion. You know, I grew up in a culture where um, I think it was all subtle, but it was kind of like some people did the work of the Lord and everybody else was in the secular world. Some people did the work of God and everyone else was just in the business world. And if we're not careful, we can sort of mislabel what life really is supposed to be about because there, there's a lot of stuff stirring inside of you. And I, I, you know, I started out in this message. In fact, I, I, I spent a long time typing all the whatevers I could think of. And, you know, and, I, and I got a crazy brain, so I had some weird whatevers on my page. I had about five pages, single space, no you know, spaces in between them of just all the whatevers I could think about. And I was going to read all the whatevers, and then I, I thought, you know what, if I do 50 50 pages of whatevers, and I get to the end of the whatevers, I'm going to miss your whatever, and you're going to, wait a minute, you didn't have my whatever. And I just want to make sure we leave the door open wide enough today that as long as it fits under whatever, your whatever works, as long as it fits under the banner of whatever, and that you don't have to get on a certain path to do a certain thing to be acceptable to God. You have to understand what God has wired you to do. Identify that. That might take the help of some people around you. Embrace that as a reality that maybe God does want me to be a sculptor. Uh, Really? Like you can do that and really that's cool and that's okay and you can get credit in heaven for that? I didn't know. That's amazing. And then you can go down that road and pursue that calling. I used to make, uh, when we would teach about this, I always would kind of make up people in my mind. And I kept making up this guy who was a left tire guy on the pit crew of a NASCAR team. And I just always used to talk about him. You know, you could be a left tire guy on the pit crew of a NASCAR team. That's under the whatever. And, I, you know, I'm just talking off the top of my head. You know, it's just the first thing that pops into my brain. And then we actually started getting into NASCAR a little bit more. Always loved watching it on TV. I know that's weird, right? But, but we did. But then finally we got to go to a race. We had to meet some drivers. And we got to get into the scene of it a little bit more. NASCAR is amazing. So don't count these people out. And if you don't know what's going on, can I just give you a little rundown really fast? In NASCAR, cars go a couple of hundred miles an hour around a track within an inch of each other. All right? That's pretty impressive in and of itself. But then then they got to come into the pits, and they come flying into the pit road, and they come down pit road, and they're, it looks on TV like they're kind of creeping into their pit. They're not. They're coming about 60 miles an hour, and they go from 60 to stopping in about 15 feet, er, and they pull in. I mean, some of us still can't parallel park, even with the car that does it for you. I mean, they're like in the thing, sliding in, skidding different ways, and they're in the pit. And then in that moment, and we've been there. We've been right on the, on the pit wall. In that moment, this phenomenal team jumps over the wall. They got hoses and jacks and tires and gasoline cans, and they jump over the wall, and they go into action. And, and they may be replacing four tires or the outside tires. They may be adjusting the chassis. They're going to put gas in. They're going to uh, take the debris off the front screen. They're taking one of those little layers off the windshield, which they got a bunch of that keep all the stuff off the windshield. So they, they may be getting a little drink in there to the driver. There's a little communication happening. They may be twinking a little thing on the tension on the back. All these kind of little adjustments they're making, and everybody has a job. One of the guys' job is to be the left tire guy. When he goes over the wall, he's got a tire in one hand. He's got a, a, one of those... Uh, things in the other hand, and he's coming over the wall, right? And he's getting busy. I mean, when you watch him, you're like, wow, it's impressive. I mean, they do all of this, what I'm talking about, in 12 seconds. And then rubber peels, and the car goes flying out again. 
And I mean, some of you can't get your credit card out of your wallet at the quick trip in 12 seconds. <laughs> They're gone. And you, you just stand back and you're just like, oh, amazing. The left tire guy, he, he, you know, he's taken that tire off. He's passed it back. There's a little system. It goes over the wall. It gets put in a stack. It gets labeled. It's probably already been labeled. And in case that's worn off, it gets labeled again, left front. It's got little bitty, yeah, I know you don't want to know any of this, but it's got little bitty holes and, and grooves in the tire that they put a little machine in, and they gauge how the tire is wearing that all goes into a computer. The outside, middle, inside, middle, another outside. They stick the little thing in. They do it all the way around the tire. It goes into a computer on that little thing in pit road that's their little crew deal, and it tells them, spits out a deal. The front left's wearing like this, so we need to adjust the whatever like this, and the air pressure needs to change like that. You just think it's good old boys and they're bumping into each other. This is high tech stuff. But the left tire guy now is over the wall. The car's gone. Everybody's wiping. They're pulling all their fire gear off and they're taking a deep breath, getting some Gatorade. Everybody's kind of chilling out now because it may be 30 minutes or 15 minutes. You don't know before the car comes back in, but not the left tire guy. The left tire guy, can I just tell you, he has a dummy tire with the lug nuts on the side of the little trailer in the pit area. And when everything kind of gets going normal again, he he gets his position, very serious, gets his thing, and he starts practicing on lug nuts. And you're standing there going, how many times have you done this in your life? Come on. It, it, this is amazing. The race is going on, and he's practicing getting those lug nuts off of there. And I always talked about that guy. And we were at one of the races not long ago when we were in the pit area hanging out. And a guy walks up to me. He goes, hey, can I just uh, wanted to say something to you really quick. He goes, you know that talk you give when you talk about the left tire guy on a pit crew and a NASCAR team? He goes, well, I'm that guy. And I just wanted to say hello and shake your hand. And I'm like, nice to meet you. <laughs> so you got to be careful about your whatevers. Because whatever is a big word. And what God is saying is, can you think about that today? There's a guy who dreams about, dreams about, practices. These guys have trainers. They work out at 6 o'clock in the morning. They go to work every day. They have competitions. They are dead level serious about getting lug nuts off a wheel in record time. That's a lot of whatevers in the world. And what God is saying today is that a shift is coming, and that shift is that you have the freedom to identify and embrace the passion that God has put in your life. The second shift is this today. It's that in the same way that we all have the recognition today that there is no distinction between the sacred and the secular in the kingdom of God. Now, that's a big statement. That didn't get any, I got one amen over here to the left. Thank you, Bryson. But that didn't get really any other amens. But that is a big, big statement. And, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you don't get more credit for being a preacher than you do being the left tire guy in an NASCAR team. You say, oh, yes, you do, because a preacher is preaching the gospel. A preacher is praying for the families. A preacher is doing the work of the church and pouring all the juice and all those little cups for communion. I mean, a preacher's got so much to do that matters so much in the world. No, in God's economy, there's not a line in heaven for the preachers and then a line for everybody else. 
There is no distinction between the sacred and the secular because in God's economy, he knows he's put different passions in different people's hearts. And what he wants is for people to come alive is what he wants. And if preaching makes you come alive, then you're going to figure that out at some point in your journey and you need to start preaching the gospel. If planting a church makes you come alive, then you need to figure that out and go plant a church so that you can be alive. If being a worship leader makes you come alive, then you need to be a worship leader if you're gifted at it, and that's going to allow you to come alive. If being a teacher uh, in a Christian school makes you come alive, then do that. But if that's not what makes you come alive, God wants you to do what makes you come alive. He just wants you to do it for a greater purpose. He wants you to do it for a greater purpose, the same purpose that I'm preaching today. I'm not preaching today for a paycheck. I'm not preaching today because I need a job. I'm not preaching today because I feel like I ought to. I'm not preaching today so that you'll remember me. I'm not preaching today to make a big deal out of myself. I'm not preaching today to get your applause. I am preaching today because I know that I have an opportunity with the gift, the aptitude, the opportunity, and the wiring that God has put in me to make much of Jesus right now. And I'm doing my dead level best to make Jesus known right here and right now. And that's the same purpose you have. It's the same purpose you have just with a different passion in a different lane on a different road. There's no distinction between the two. A.W. Tozer, we've talked about this quote before, but he's such a hero. He wrote this over 50 years ago in his book called The Pursuit of God. But this is what he said. He said, The layman need never think of his humbler task as being inferior to that of his minister. Let every man abide in the calling wherein he or she is called And his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. And here comes the heart of what he's saying. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. There is no divide, he's saying. It's a false dichotomy to say that, you know, if you're over here being an engineer or being an architect, that's the sake the secular world, and if you're over here writing worship songs or being a church planner, that's the spiritual world. God is saying, hey, there's no divide. The question is motive. Why are you being an architect? Why are you being an engineer? What is the purpose of your path of being an engineer? Is it to make the name of Jesus known? And if it is, you're on the same path as this person over here who, by planning a church, wants to make the name of Jesus known. It's not what you do that determines whether your work is sacred or secular. It is why you do it. It is the motive. It's saying, I got the passion, but I also understand the purpose. And when I got a hold of the purpose, I knew then that whatever I do can be sacred because my heart is set apart to God. My desire has been set apart to God in whatever it is that I do. Isn't that amazing? Powerful? It means that whatever the, the gifting is in your life and whatever the wiring is in your life, 
that your life can count with God as much as the preacher's life. And you know what? Even maybe more. Because the preacher may be preaching all day long with the wrong motive and get no reward from God. And yet you may be over here in some lane that nobody else even understands. I mean, you know, all these kind of thoughts come to my mind, but somebody's got a mind for architecture here. And I just want to say to you as Passion City Church, man, go for it. You're thinking, you know, somewhere there's going to have to be a bridge go right there, and it needs to be cost efficient, yes, and it needs to be cool, please. Um, it needs to be functional, that would help as well, and it needs to be art, because why not make it art if you can, right? And so if you see that bridge and you think you can figure out that equation and you can do that math and you can solve that dilemma and you can create that project, then will you please go do that so that A, we can get across from here to over there, B, we can know that we're not going to fall in the hole when we get across from here to over there, that C, we can go, I like that bridge, I like going this way because I just like looking at that because that's really beautiful because if you're going to do architecture, why not make it beautiful, right? Because Jesus gifted you and he didn't gift you with just dull gifts. He gifted you with amazing gifts. So why not reflect his amazing gifts and make us an amazing bridge and go do the bridge. But as you're being an architect and as you're building the bridge, here's where the thing breaks down. You're not thinking in your mind, I'm going to get an award for this. I'm getting promoted at my company and getting a raise for this. I'm going to become the greatest bridge designer in my generation, and they're going to write about me in Wikipedia. If you put in amazing bridges, I'm going to come up. This is the path that I'm on, and it's going to be for my advancement and for my kingdom and for my glory and for my future. That's why I'm doing it all. And God is saying, in that moment, what you're doing is secular in that moment because there isn't a heart of the kingdom of God in it. The heart of the kingdom of God went away. The purpose went away, and it really was just about you and your ego and your glory and your paycheck and your reward and your commendation and your citation at the Bridge Builders of America conference and your little plaque that you got, the little Lucite thing, you know, that says, congratulations, you're the best bridge builder of the year in our district, um, in our county, of the people who built the bridges today. You're the best of all of those, and here's your deal. And it's like, that's when it becomes secular. But when it becomes sacred is when you say, God, I'm going to build a bridge because that's what you wired me up to do. And I'm not building it for my credit or for my glory. I'm building it in such a way that it's going to somehow create a platform. Somehow there's going to be an opportunity for me to talk about the fact that you created me. And out of you creating me, you gave me the gifting to create that. It's a shift. So we're shifting, A, into the freedom to identify and embrace our passion. For some of you, that's arbitrage. I just say that because I, I, some of you don't know pastors know that word. A lot of your neighbors don't even know that word. But when I say that word, you go, hello. He just said arbitrage. Thank you, God. My prayers are answered. The odds of a pastor saying arbitrage and his talk are so incredibly microscopic that God must be speaking to me today. Some of you have the aptitude for it. You are wired for it. You have the gifting for it, and you have the opportunity for it. And at Passion City Church, we want to say, go and be the greatest arbitrage dealer, broker that you can be to the glory of God. Do not be half-hearted at your arbitraging. 
because the wiring that you got to be good at arbitrage came from God Almighty. And so go do arbitrage like God gifted you to do it, not like you got a degree to do it and an internship to do it and a job to do it. Go do it like God gifted you to do it. Show up at work, walk through the door and say, God Almighty gave me this ability, folks. I am here to be his servant. And you will find yourself in line with that small appliance repairman. JoJo's small appliance repair guy. And God's not going to go, oh, you did arbitrage. You did $100 million deals. And what'd you do again? I fixed a garbage disposal. There's a spoon stuck down in it. And I got it. Had to take, well, I had to take the little flywheel thing out. And there was a little seal in there. And I had to take that seal out. And, oh, man, it's a garbage disposal. Now, what'd you do again? $100 million deals. Okay, no, no, God's going to go, that's great. Why'd you do arbitrage? Because I was good at it. Because you made me good at it. And because I knew doing what I was good at was going to make me alive. And the more alive I was, the more I was going to have an opportunity to reflect you to my world. Why'd you take the seal out? Because you know, God, you made me hope it's okay to say this, the best disposal repairman on earth. I know how to do it. And there's a way where you can do it just a little faster and cheaper. I don't do it that way. I did it the right way for those people, and they don't even know it. In fact, I made an extra trip back to the shop, and I had to get this other thing for them. And honestly, I just loved knowing that when I left their house, that their garbage disposal was like better than it was when I got there. And I drove all the way home going, thank you, God, for giving me this kind of ability. And God's going to say, yes, this is awesome. And some preacher is going to come bumping his way through the crowd, you know. I had a church and we had 747 decisions for Jesus on opening day. It was amazing. God's going to go, you know, your heart the whole time was not right. Can you just back up for a minute? I'm talking to this garbage disposal repair guy. He is a sacred guy who did a sacred thing with the gifts I gave him. That's the last shift. That's the last shift today. The last, the third shift today is this. It's understanding that the retention of the clarity that our purpose overshadows passion has to be central in everything we do. That we have to dig in at this point and we have to hold on like, I'm talking about with everything we've got in the power of God in our grip to retain the clarity that our 
purpose always overshadows our passion. And that's why I want to add a few messages onto this. Because if we stop today, somebody's going to leave here today and go, I got it. I'm opening a boutique. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm passionate about it. I'm going down that road. Retail's my world. I'm getting into it. Somebody's got an entrepreneurial idea and you're going to go run with the idea. Somebody's like, I want to be a mother. I want to have a family. I want to raise up kids. I want to raise a household up to know Jesus. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm wired up to do. I'm gifted for it and I have an opportunity for it right now. And I'm going to pour my life into that to the glory of God. Somebody else, you got another passion stirring in a different way. And, and that's awesome, but it's not enough today for us to end the series here today and go, whatever you want to do, whatever stirs your heart, whatever you're wired up for, just go do that to the glory of God. That's not enough. And I'll tell you why, because the, the world we live in is a very difficult world. And just to go back to my arbitrage guy or girl, if you're going to do arbitrage, you better be really good at it. And you better be prepared to work hard and to work long hours and to rise up from the bottom of the totem pole and to not get respect and to not get promoted and to have to do what nobody else wants to do and to not get to lead a Bible study the first day you get there and to not be able to talk about Jesus all over the place and to walk in the door and say, hey, everybody, I just got here. I want to let you know I'm here for the glory of God. Praise the Lord. I'm here to lift up the name of Jesus in arbitrage, man. It's my purpose in life is to make Jesus famous and they're going to be like, uh-huh, thank you so much for coming. This will be your last day you're out. Can I get an amen from anybody that lives in the real world? You're like, yeah. So what do you have to do? You have to A, be great. You have to A, pay the price. You have to have mentors. And you better root yourself so deep in the family and the household of God that you can't even see the bottom of your roots in the church. Because you've got to have a stream you got to have a stream in you. It may take you a decade before you have the platform to tell someone in the arbitrage world about Jesus. Or it may take a week because God's like that. But you have to be prepared to go down that road. Here's what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. I just want to tip my hat at it a little bit today because some of you are never coming back. You're in town. This is your one-time shot. What we're not talking about today, if I can just be a little bit bold for a second, is getting a great idea of what your passion is and then trying to sell it to all the people in the church. We're talking about getting a great vision of what God has gifted you to do and to do it in such a way that you can sell it anywhere. Hello? That it, it, it'll stand up. Your bridge will hold. And the gospel going out, it may not be that you're your bridge is one of those weird deals where you're like, yes, if the normal people look at it, it's pretty amazing, Louis. But if you get over here and you stand right here, no, 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 not right there, right here. And you, because we're at a 17 degree angle right now. And if you get right at this angle, right when the sun goes down, it's amazing. The gospel of John, a couple of verses come up in the cabling of the bridge. Can you see it? Do you see it with me? Doing it to the glory of God. We don't really need that. We, we, we just need a great bridge that people go, have you seen such and such a bridge? I have. But the guy that did that bridge goes to our church. What? You're kidding. No, he's a cool guy. Or the guy that builds that bridge does get recognized. And then when the little interns come hustling around, 
Oh, you're not going to believe this. We got an internship with Jojo. The, uh, he's the small appliance guy. We got, we, got a, we got an internship with this bridge builder guy. He's a god in the architectural world. He's the guy that everybody wants to intern with right now. And somewhere in that internship, you're thinking that, that guy or that lady that designed that bridge can't say to those interns, oh, I just want to let you know, too, if you just not pushing it on anybody, but I just want to let you know that Jesus is like the heart of my life. And even more than that, in his conduct, not his product, has been sacred all along. So you don't have to necessarily make a sacred product. But your conduct, while you make whatever it is that you make, has to be sacred. And the people around you, they know when the bottom falls out where to go because they've watched you live. You've earned their respect. You've earned the respect of the world maybe, but the danger is so many people start out in a seat like you with the intention of living for the glory of God, but their gifting and passion and wiring hits so strong when they embrace it that it takes them on a trajectory and all of a sudden their fame and their gain outstrip the purpose of the one who gave them the gift. And they started well. So many people like this started well. I'm going to go do this for God. And all of a sudden the money got big and the paychecks got bigger and the recognition got bigger and the status got bigger and the applause got louder. And all of a sudden they kept saying it was for God, but God just got pushed down the equation because at that point it really had become all about them. And in that moment, it's secular. It's just of this world and it's passing away. And God is wanting to bring a shift to us that, man, you're wired up to do something, person. You have a unique calling, and it fits under the whatever. Can be just as sacred as any job in the church, whatever it is that God's wired you up to do. But you've got to understand that you have to dig deep and put down some serious roots so that the passion is never greater than the purpose that is to lift up the name of Jesus.